Sam, you can grab a bulletin back there for your outline. There's, there's some extra ones. All right. And our text verse today, if you're already there in your Bible, if not, you might want to turn there to John 8 and verse 12 and take your bulletin out. There's a good outline in there, and I've left lots of space for you to take notes in between. But uh, our text verse today is John 8 and verse 12, and it says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but have the light of life. Darkness. What, what is darkness? Think about that for a minute. What is darkness? How, we, how, do, how do we define it? Yeah, boy, everybody's on the same page. The absence of light. You know, uh, I teach a logic course, and one of the, one of the uh, techniques that I use for the students is sometimes, especially in this case, not only is it easier, it's the only way to define something is to explain it by what it is not. To, it's, it's called the negative comparison and thereby definition. So darkness is actually not a thing. It's the lack of a thing. Does that make sense this morning? It's the lack of light. Um, and here's the question. Why is darkness so scary? Huh? Can't see anything. Why is it scary not to be able to see anything? Because you don't know what goes bump in the night. What's that? All those little monsters running around. Yeah, and the unknown is always, most of the time, scarier than the known, isn't it? How many of you were afraid of the darkness when you were a kid? How many of you were afraid of the dark when you were a kid? All right. How many of you are still afraid of the dark as an adult? Yeah, there's a few of them out there. Yeah, and it's scary because we, we don't know what's out there. But I have a question for you. Is the darkness ever helpful? In what circumstances is the darkness helpful? If we need to hide? Helps you sleep? That's funny. It does help. As an adult, I want it black dark. But as a kid, what do you have? A nightlight. Why do you have a nightlight? Because the darkness is scary. Uh, and, and Jesus would say later through, through John, he would say, uh, men love darkness rather than light because they're such good people. Is that what the Bible says? Because why? Their deeds are evil. And evil and darkness tend to go together, don't they? All the way through Scripture. We see the light contrasted with the darkness. And if you think about it, right at the very beginning of the Bible, the Bible says that God spoke and he said, let there be light, and there was light. And before that, the Bible says, and he, and he separated the darkness from the light, the day from the night. The earth was without form, it was empty, and there was darkness upon the face of the deep. But God created something called light. So we have darkness and light. All through the Bible, God, think about it, God is called the light, isn't he? And our spiritual enemy, Satan, he is called the prince of what? Darkness. So again, we see this contrast of Darkness and light, good and evil. In fact, when, when Jesus told Saul, who was going to become Paul something, he contrasted the light and the darkness. He said in Acts 26, verse 17 and 18, he says, Yes, I am sending you, Paul, Saul, to the Gentiles to open their eyes, and check this out, so that they might turn from darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God. You see it? So again, we see this contrast, darkness, light, Satan, God. Now, I just want to, I want you to be careful here. That doesn't mean that Satan is God's equal opposite. Because I want to tell you, God has no equal, whether it is opposite or otherwise. Do, you, do we understand that this morning? Satan is a created being. The great reformer Martin Luther said that Satan is God's lapdog. 
Okay, so, so they're not equal. However, they are opposite. And uh, so with this thought here, John 8, 12, it's a familiar verse, isn't it? I'm the light of the world. How many of you have heard that one before? I'm the light of the world. Yeah, we've all heard that. But you know what's interesting? I find, as is so often the case, many of us don't know the context in which this was said. And, and it's really beautiful when you pull back a little bit and you read the entire context because this statement actually comes from one of the greatest grace-filled uh, histories in all of the Bible. As a matter of fact, um, some of you might be familiar with this history, uh, and it's known today as the woman caught in adultery. You remember that one? So that's really where this starts. So right, and this, here's what's interesting. It's right after this account of this woman caught in adultery. We're going we're to walk through that this morning. But it's right after that that Jesus makes this life-changing statement that I am the light of the world. So, so let's take a look and let's unpack this morning this whole section of Scripture in John chapter 8. I want to break it down into what I see naturally flows out of this into three parts to make it easier for us to digest. So we're going to take a look today at the law, the love, and the light. So I want you to repeat after me. The law, the love, and the light. The light. That was, that was, that was pretty weak, church. I'm just saying. I've got, got to be honest with you this morning. I don't know if you all didn't get your sleep last night or what, but uh, the law, the love, and the light. And that, it kind of sounds like the title for a bad soap opera, doesn't it? <laughs> but nevertheless, let's start right here. And if you're taking notes... Uh, we're going to start with the law. What does the law reveal? If you're taking notes this morning, the law reveals our guilt. The law reveals our guilt. The Bible says in John 8, verse 2, And at dawn, Jesus appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach them. So what's Jesus doing? He's teaching. And he's got a group of people sitting around him, and, and he is teaching them very important things. So I want you to get that context. He's in the middle of a sermon. And verse 3, And the teachers of the law and the Pharisees, don't you just love those guys? The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought a woman caught in adultery, and they made her stand before the group. And they said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this, the Bible says, question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. So what's happening here? Jesus is teaching. He's maybe on the second point of his three-point outline. I don't know. And someone interrupts him. Now, you probably can't appreciate this unless you are a preacher or a public speaker. But interruptions uh, are frustrating, aren't they? So Jesus is rudely interrupted by the scribes and the Pharisees literally dragging this woman and, and throwing, him, throwing her before him. And they say, we caught this woman in the very act of adultery. Now, adultery is having a physical relationship with someone who is married. Now, either she was married, but I have a question for you. How many people does it take to commit adultery? Hmm. It's kind of one of those sins that's hard to do on your own. Although Jesus did say that was possible. Where's the other half of the party? Do you ever stop and think about that? And by the way, that is the technicality, I believe, on which the end of the story hinges. Just one. It's just her. And so they lead her off. They drag her there. She, she's possibly naked. 
Or maybe she grabbed a sheet or a blanket and she's barely clothed and she's thrown down before Jesus right in the middle of his teaching. And they say, Moses says to kill her. What do you say? Now, why is that a trap for Jesus? There's two reasons why it's a trap. Because it's one of those deals, it's a no-win situation. You ever been into one of those? Uh, uh, they call it, in logic, being impaled on the horns of a dilemma. There are three ways to get out of that, and Jesus takes the middle way, which is going between the horns and offering a different alternative, a third alternative. They said, basically, Moses' law says to kill her. What do you say? Here's the problem. If Jesus agrees with the law and they stone her, why is that a problem? No, it's, it, it literally says thou shalt not murder. That would be a just murder, just taking of life. Um, killing is, is just when the law demands it, and the law demands it. Pardon? Okay, so Jesus, here, here's the thing. How would the people look at him if he picks up a, has Jesus ever done anything like this? No. Bigger problem than that, though, and this is really where the Pharisees and scribes had him in a corner. If Jesus agrees and they stone her, Jesus is in trouble. Because, think about this, understanding history. They were under Roman rule. Yes? Do you remember when they finally did get Jesus? They could not kill him themselves as much as they would have liked to. They did not have the authority. So where does Jesus end up? Pilate's place, doesn't he? Pilate's the governor, the Roman governor of Judea. See, you had to have the Roman, Roman seal of approval to kill anybody. So Jesus says, yes, she's worthy of death and begins the stoning. He's in trouble with Rome. And I can tell you, you go read the, the historians of the day, Rome did not cotton to vigilante justice. Matter of fact, their response to that was quick and violent. What's the other problem? If he says no, he's not obeying the law. He now can be called a sinner. Jesus has got a problem, doesn't he? He, he is in big trouble. You know, I've noticed today that people don't like to admit their guilt. Let me be more specific. I've noticed that most of you don't like to admit your guilt. We don't, do we? No, and why is that? Because we have this, this natural inclination to protect our rep reputation. And interestingly enough, when we do compare ourselves with somebody else, we rarely compare ourselves to people like Billy Graham or Mother Teresa. Isn't that interesting? No, we compare ourselves to our boneheaded brother-in-law who's an alcoholic and can't keep a job, right? Because the idea is, the prevailing wisdom is, I'm okay, you're okay, but here's the problem. No, we're not. We're not okay. And the law reminds us of our guilt. We are sinful, horribly sinful in the eyes of God. Do you realize that today? We're terribly sinful in the eyes of God. And the law, the law of God reveals our guilt. And in that, the Pharisees and Sadducees were correct. She was guilty. I got the privilege, thanks to all of you this week, to spend a week listening to about uh, almost 20 hours of preaching. I was in a conference all week in Kentucky called Together for the Gospel. John Piper got up, and he preached a powerful sermon. And one of the things he said, interestingly enough, because I'm looking at my text for the week, and he got up and he, he spoke in large part about darkness. Isn't that interesting? And here's what he said. He said, we love the darkness. Natural man, you outside of Jesus Christ, you love the darkness. 
The darkness feels good. Men love darkness rather than light. Why? Because their deeds are evil. We are horribly sinful outside of Jesus Christ. Piper went on to say this. It was stunning to me. He said, it's not talking about those who love the darkness. He said, it's not that light is lacking. Instead, it's that light is hated. Did you get that? He said, it's not that, it's not that natural man, those outside of Christ, it's not that we don't have the light of revelation of, of who Jesus is. It's, not that, it's that we hate the light of revelation. We hate the light. We hate God. And then he made, he made, to make matters worse, he gave an illustration. It made me uncomfortable. Now I know how you all feel every Sunday. <laughs> That's why it's good for me to go away and hear such things. Here's what he said. It blew me away. He went on and said this. The sweetest 80-year-old grandma who is not in Christ hates the light. Ooh, I, I just don't like that. It's the truth. Outside of Christ, we are guilty, and the law reveals our guilt. Am I making sense this morning? Let me give you an illustration. In the Bible, there's something called the Ten Suggestions. That's not it? Oh, what's it called? Oh, the Ten Commandments. Yes. The thou shalts and the thou, thou shalt nots. Uh, I'll give you an example. One of the commandments is thou shalt not lie or bear false witness. Now, I have a question for you. You're in church before God. How many of you have ever lied? Okay, if you're not raising your hand, you're lying now. <laughs> okay, and the person who lies is called a, a liar. Um, what about this one? How many of you have ever taken something... That either you have not purchased or does not belong to you. Raise your hand. All right. And as someone who steals is called a what? A thief. How many of you have taken the Lord's name in vain? And by the way, I've been on your Facebooks. Some of you do it all the time. And I'm fixing to come through that Facebook and, and slap you in Jesus' name. Okay. How many of you have, and here's what that means, not just the OMG, but saying it out loud, or, and it's not even that. How many of you have put God's name on something that God had nothing to do with? I had a brother come to me one time and say, oh man, God just gave me this great brand new car. I said, dude, you're in debt up to your eyeballs. That wasn't God. That's taking, that is taking God's name in vain. How many of you ever done that? By the way, that's called being a blasphemer. And then the very first one, I am the Lord thy God, which has brought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. How many of you have loved something or someone more than you love God? Raise your hand. Every single hand in the place should be up. So I guess what you're telling me is that we have, you have just admitted to me that you're a lying, thieving, blaspheming idolater. Right? Okay, let's pray. The altar's open. Dale, right here. I got a nice cushy pew for you. Come right up and kneel down. Yeah. And that's, is that, am I lying or am I telling the truth? You just admitted it. I'm a lying, thieving, blaspheming idolater. And I didn't even get to the adultery part. Or the covetous part. Man, there's more commandments, and I'm, I've had mercy on you. Remember that. I had mercy on you this morning. But the law, the law reveals our guilt. And I love, I love what John Bunyan, the guy who wrote uh, Pilgrim's Progress, the great Puritan preacher, he wrote this little verse, and he said this, Run, John, run. The law demands, but gives me neither feet nor hands. Oh, but better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. 
See, Bunyan knew that the law was designed to reveal our guilt. And the law said very clearly that this woman was absolutely guilty. Guilty. Paul would say later that that, that the law is our schoolmaster that that literally leads us to Christ. How, How does the law lead us to Christ? It makes us realize that we have a problem. Not just a problem, but a problem that you and I, you ready for this? You should write this down, are powerless to fix. And some of you don't understand that today. Some of you, I know, don't believe that today. But I'm here to tell you, based on the authority of God's Word, you can't fix your sin. If you could, God would have never sent His Son to go through what He did to fix it for you. Are you with me this morning? The law reveals our guilt, and we don't always really very much appreciate that. This woman... was guilty the crosshairs of the law were pointed right between her eyes and here's the thing so are you so am I but I'm so thankful it doesn't end there not only does the law reveal our guilt but the love Reveals God's grace. The love reveals God's grace. Look in your Bibles in, in verse 6. It says, But Jesus, so they said, What are you going to do? And it's like Jesus just ignores them. And he bends down and he starts doodling in the sand. You, you reckon Jesus was frustrating to these guys or what? He just ignores him, starts writing his says, But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. And it's obvious that they're not yet paying attention to what he's writing. They just see that he's writing, and they're badgering him. Verse 7, they keep on questioning him, the Bible says. He straightened up and he said to them, Let any one of you... Who is without what, church? Sin. Be the first to throw a stone at her. Now, everybody wants to know, what did he write? What did he write in the sand? And the answer is, we don't don't know for sure. However, a lot of scholars believe, and there is some evidence towards this fact, that he possibly wrote down the sins of those men who were accusing her. And the reason people believe this is because later manuscripts actually say that. Do you realize that? Because there's two words translated to write down in the English language. It's the word graphene and katagraphene. And here's what's interesting. Graphene means to write down. But the word here has a prefix to it, and it's called kata. And it literally means to write down a record against Did you get that? To write down a record against. And since Jesus is God in the flesh, he knows what they've done in the dark. And it's very possible that he's writing down a record of the sins of the men who are accusing this woman. And by the way, he knows, are you ready for this? He knows what you've done in the dark. And he loves you anyway. Just let that one sit for a while. So verse 7 says, when they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and he said, let anyone of you without sin do what? Let any of you without sin, if you've never sinned, you pick up a rock and you be the first to throw a stone at her. And it's another interesting point, again, in the Greek language, that word translated without sin It doesn't just mean having not committed a sin. It's a deeper word than that. It it literally means without even wanting to sin. 
How many of you have ever wanted to sin, but by God's grace or fear of retribution, whichever it is, something kept you from doing it? How many of you say, yeah, that's me. I've wanted to do it. I mean, how many of you want to punch somebody in the nose and you don't do it? How many of you want to punch me in the nose? No, I don't want to know. I know Elizabeth will raise her hand. <laughs> but you, so, so it's not just without doing the act. It's without even wanting to. This is the very strong word. And it's not just focusing on the outward behavior, but Jesus was always getting at the inward behavior at the heart of the matter. It's interesting. He says, hey, any of you have never done anything wrong, never wanted to do anything wrong, you pick up the stone and you're the the one who has the right to throw the first one. Right? What happens? The Bible says, again, he stooped down, and he continues writing. Now, this is interesting. I believe it's here that somebody looks down and actually reads what he's writing. (laughs) And if he is writing a record again, whatever he wrote, all of a sudden they start paying attention to what he's writing in the ground. And look at what the historical record says in your Bible. At this, at what? When he kept writing, those who heard began to go away one at a time. Now, now this is interesting. The oldest one first. <laughs> they got the longest record, right? Until only Jesus was left with a woman standing there. That's good. The oldest, I like that. The oldest one went first because he's got the longest record. And Jesus probably started with him, huh? But there was a tradition in, in, in the uh, Pharisaical and, and, and Sadduceical circles, and that was that the eldest was also the most practically righteous. And as such, the the elder in the group of an execution always threw the first stone. Remember when Thomas was stoned? There was a young fellow there who didn't even pick up the rocks. His name was Saul of Tarsus. Instead, he was so young amongst that group, he just held the cloaks of the elders so that the elders could stone. Not, um, I said Thomas, Stephen. You with me? And that oldest guy, I want you to just imagine, he just he drops a stone. And he walks away. And then the next oldest, they're looking at him. Surely you're, he drops his stone and walks away. Until the Bible says, there's nobody left. Look at this grace. Look at this grace in the Bible. Jesus says, has... Has no one condemned you? And broken and shamed, and at the darkest moment of her life, she says, no one, sir. No one. Then Jesus looked at this broken woman, and he spoke the most grace-filled, love-laced words in all of history. And I want you to look at this then neither do I condemn you. Then neither do I condemn you. Can I just stop right here and point something out? What was Jesus' challenge to them, to these Pharisees and scribes? You can kill her. Have at it. But... Only the person here who not only has never sinned, but has never even had the desire to sin. That's the person that can throw the first stone. Was there somebody present who had never sinned and never even had the desire to sin? His name was Jesus. And listen to me. Jesus had the right to take a stone and bash her head in. Did he? He did have the right. He absolutely had the right to do that. Why didn't he? Because Jesus knew 
in a few short months, he would take that bashing of the head for her. And he says, don't look at me, lady. I'm not condemning you either. Oh, God's, the love reveals the incredible grace of God. And listen to me today. Somebody needs to hear this. You are not what you did. You are not what they say you are. You are who God says you are. You with me? That's why we are a church of restoration. That's why when somebody messes up, we don't say, you know what, you're out and you can never come back. No, we say there is something called repentance and we call you to that. And we will, once repentance is there, we will embrace you in the fellowship. Why? Because you're not what you are. You're not what you're done, what you have done. You are who God says you are. And when that enemy comes, Satan himself, who by the way, the word Satan means adversary, he is the accuser of the brethren. Which means you. How many of you had that annoying little sister who was always tattling on you? I just love her. I just love that one. <laughs> Easy, Sam. <laughs> Let me tell you what. Satan is forever tattling on you. He is forever before the face of God saying, Did you see what Paul just did? You, did you see that? Did you really see that? Are you going to let him get away with that? And he comes to you and he reminds you of everything you've ever done. But I'm going to tell you something. When Satan comes to you and reminds you of your past, you just remind him of his future. Amen? And you say, Satan, you know what? That's exactly right. I did every single one of those and I love doing it. But I want to tell you something. It's under the blood of Jesus and that's not who I am. I am who God says that I am. And I'll tell you something. I'm preaching a whole lot better than you're responding this morning. But that's the truth of God. I'm telling you the truth. Darkness never defeats the light. Darkness never wins. It, there is no dark so dark that it can overcome the light. Even the smallest match lit in utter darkness dispels it in an instant. But does Jesus just stop there? Neither do I condemn you. End of story. No, he doesn't. He says, go now and leave your life of sin. I like how the old King James says it. Go and sin no more. Reminds me of a story. A fellow was hired to paint the Methodist church in town. He decided that he could make more money if he thinned that paint down. So he thinned that paint by half with water and painted that church. And sure enough, didn't it rain that night? And the next morning, he came out to see the rain had affected his paint job. And it looked wretched. And he bowed his head in shame. And just then he looked up and there was an angel standing at the entrance of the church. He pointed his finger at the painter and he said repaint and thin no more <laughs> I just had to see if you're awake this morning I want to see if anybody was living out there in the audience today Jesus doesn't just tell her God you know what I know I know you had trouble with your dad and you have father issues and you have a thing with men and I know you're probably going to do this again but try hard not to is that what Jesus said no he said Go now and leave your life of sin. Go now. Grace is not to be trampled upon, but triumphed in. And I want you to see the urgency. He says, go now. Embrace the light. And when you embrace the light, the darkness is banished. It disappears. And I'm, I'm talking to somebody here today. Somebody here today is in darkness. There's a dark area of your life and you can't fix it. You can't get over it. And I'll tell you, the answer is not to try to undo the darkness with your thinking or with your deeds. The answer is to come to he who is the light. Embrace the light and the darkness has to flee. 
Embrace it. Whatever that area is. Some people are addicted to pornography. Embrace the light of God's revealed truth that he has provided uh, uh, for you, either through your spouse or grace when you don't have a spouse. And that God, listen, that Jesus, the light, is better than the darkness. Embrace the light and the darkness flees. Some of, you, some of us, we just struggle with overeating. It's quiet in here. You know, that's the only Baptist sin that's acceptable. We can't drink, we can't smoke, we can't run around, but bless God, we'll eat ourselves into an early grave. I'm telling the truth. And you know what? You know what? I never... <laughs> I don't, he's not my doctor anymore. I fired him after he told me this. But there was a guy here in town that used to be my doctor. And, and I had a physical. And he, and he said to me, I think you're a stress eater. I said, what's that mean? I eat stress? He said, no, when you're stressed, you eat. He said, you need to lose 40 pounds. I said, you need to get some tact. By the way, and I learned something from that. My doctor now is fat. I hired me a fat doctor. He'll never tell you you need to lose weight. <laughs> but, 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 but what he was explaining to me, and it really hurt my feelings, but he said, hey, let me say, he said, you're using food to comfort some kind of grief in your life that you're not dealing with. I'm like, dude, you're my doctor, not my pastor. Back off. Right? But it's, some of us do that, we, and, we come, and, and we come and say, well, you know, Jesus doesn't say, well, that's okay. Just keep using food and eat yourself. No, I am better than that next bite. I can touch that grief and that sorrow that's deep in your heart and my light will banish that darkness from you. Do you believe me? Will you embrace me and let my light banish that darkness from your life? You name the sin and I promise you the light who is Jesus Christ can banish that from your life. He didn't tell her it's okay. Do your best. He said, no, 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 that's not what he says at all. He says, embrace the light and the darkness flees. Those who do it will never walk in darkness. But not only, not only does the law reveal our guilt, and the love reveal God's grace. The third thing, if you're taking notes, and it's the whole point of this message, and it's this, that the light reveals our hope. The light reveals our hope. Look at verse 11. Now watch this. Verse 11. And what's cool about verse 11, it's, it's the preceding verse to our text, yes? It's right before the I am the light of the world statement. And here's what he says. Jesus says, go now, urgency, and leave that life of sin. We don't... And you, we look at that, and I have to think, you know, he's kind of being a little preachy here. <laughs> you know, you, you kind of being a little preachy, aren't you? Don't do that anymore. Cut that out. I forgave you, but stop it. Stop it. And it's like he's saying... We could read it that way and see Jesus as harsh, but that's not it. I don't think he's talking like that at all to her. And the reason I know this is because the next verse shows that he was actually encouraging her. He was actually giving her hope. He was saying, hey, lady, you don't have to live in darkness. You can be different. You don't have to hurt like you were hurting. You are precious in my sight. You don't have to live in the shame that you were living in. You don't have to live in the self-condemnation, the self-hatred of your own bad decisions. You can be different. Go now and sin no more. On what basis can she pull that off? How many of you have ever tried to quit sinning? Huh? How's that working for you? Not too good. Thank you. We got one honest man in the whole church. Not too good. I tell you all, you'll hear from you. Come, you come back some more. You're going to hear me say this tons of times. Whatever you do, don't go out and do what I just preached on. Don't do it. You try to do it on yourself, you are going to mess it up. Matter of fact, you want to, you want to, you want to, what's the word I'm looking for? You want a recipe to sin? Go out and try to not sin. 
You'll sin quicker than if you didn't even think about it. That's the truth. Why? Because you can't do it. And Jesus didn't send her out to try in her own effort. How do you know that, preacher? Verse 12. This is so cool. This is the context. So what was Jesus doing before this interruption? He's preaching. He's teaching. He goes right back to it. That woman is still there, standing before him. And he turns to the rest of the crowd and he said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will, and underline that in your Bible, never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. Check this out. When Jesus looked at her and said, neither do I condemn you, at that moment, he no longer, he was no longer the light of the world. He was actually, you ready for this? The light of her world. Did you get that? He was no longer the light of the world. He was the light of her world. And and it's the very same thing today. In the grace and the presence of our good God who is light, when you personalize this message to you, He is no longer just the light of the world, but at that moment, at that very moment, when you are convinced of your sin and finally get heaven and hell honest about it before your God, At that very moment, he becomes the light of your world. And when he becomes the light of your world, that changes everything because darkness always defeats, or darkness is always defeated by the light. Darkness can't stand up to the light. The answer is not a program, the answer is not principles, the answer is a person. That's why he said, I am the light of the world, and if you'll receive me and stop running away, I'll be the light of your world. Hmm? It becomes personal. And he's not an out there God. He is my God. We talked about that in Sunday school this morning. The Lord is my shepherd. It's personal. He's my personal light. And, and, you, and when you know that, you receive freedom from all the condemning voices of this world. You ready for this? Even that voice in your head that's constantly telling you you're no good, you'll never measure up, quit trying. That voice goes silent in the light of a personal God. That voice of Satan that tells you you can't, you won't, you never will. It is silence in the presence of his grace and goodness who says, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never Walk in darkness. Now I want to kind of land this plane by challenging you to get really honest for a moment. Tell me, how, how uncomfortable would it have been to be in that crowd? Hmm? You think so, Mike? First of all, you got to barely clad woman who's probably cut and bleeding. You ever been to one of those uncomfortable situations? I don't know about you, but here's what I tend to do. I tend to do one of these. I want to shrink back (laughs) to the back of the crowd and just kind of get out of that. Are you with me? I don't even want, I don't want to see that. Nothing good's going to happen here. And there's another funny thing that's going on. I want you to put yourself there. You're in the crowd. You have two thoughts. This isn't good. The second thought is right behind it. You ready? I'm sure glad. And I'm not her. Huh? I'm sure glad I ain't her. You are her. You are her. The day is coming. And you will stand before a holy God. And one of two things is going to happen. All of your darkness is going to be played 
on a screen for the whole universe to see. What do you think about that? I want you to imagine the thing you're most ashamed of scrolling up on that screen and all of us getting to watch it today. What would you do? I would be right behind you, Marvelous. I would beat you to the door. I would get out of Dodge. And I'd never come back. It's coming. Unless you've embraced the light. And on that great and glorious day, with all the darkness that you've committed, you're going to stand before God and they're going to roll the tape. And all we're going to see is Jesus' perfection. Because he has removed our sins from us as far as the east is from the west. He has buried them in the depths of the sea. And the difference is what it always is. The difference is Jesus. Not just Jesus. I'm glad that you're here today. I'm glad you're learning about him. The question is, listen to me, do you know him? Is he your personal light that is consistently and constantly driving the darkness out of your life? And if he's not, oh, beloved, I, gotta, I, gotta, I owe this to you. Just because you said a little prayer when you were four years old. And I don't discount that. My wife did that. But I'm going to tell you something. The sin and the wretchedness that Jesus saved her from is the same sin and wretchedness that Jesus saved me from at the age of 15. She had the, as much of a problem before a holy God at four as I did at 15 as you did at 52. And I'm going to tell you something right now. We got a problem before a holy God, and the law reveals our guilt, but the love of God reveals His grace. And oh, folks, the light, when we embrace the light, it reveals our hope, our confident expectation that God will do what He said He will do. But I'm telling you, be careful not to pin your eternity on a prayer. I don't want to hurt anybody's feelings or rock anybody's world this morning. But I'm just going to be honest with you. The sinner's prayer is not in the Bible. I defy you to give me a chapter and verse where we see the sinner's prayer. Now, is that, does that mean we're not saved? Absolutely not. But the Bible doesn't say pray and ask Jesus into your heart. That's confusing the result of salvation with the means of salvation. What, what do we do? We believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. That God has raised him from the dead and we are set Right, It is faith and faith alone that sets us right with God. And the moment we believe is the moment that God translates us out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Preacher, what are you saying? Okay, I promise you I'm done. But here's what I'm saying. Here's what I'm saying, and I'm saying it with all of my heart this morning. If your life is not defined more by the light of Christ and the practical rightness coming out in your life in different areas. If you are not grieved over your sin, not just because it's messing up your life, but because it's, it is an affront to a holy God. If, if, if there is more darkness than light in your life, then I just have to be honest with you. Should we not ask the question, have I even embraced he who is the light? You say, Pastor, I don't like this sermon. I don't either. But brothers and sisters, one day you're going to stand before that holy God and God has called me and commissioned me to warn you that don't take that lightly because it's coming. Nobody's going to be in the back of the crowd on that day. You're going to be the one at His feet. Don't play with that. Because He said, I am the light. And you don't have to walk in darkness anymore. Would you stand with me? How many of you can be honest with me today and say, Preacher, there's some darkness that needs to go away in my life today. Come on. It's got to go. And I'm a, I, I want to embrace Jesus, who is my light, right now. I'm going to embrace him.
And I'm going to trust that what you said is true and what Jesus said is true, that when I embrace the light, he will give me a love that will never let me go. That, 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 that the light of who Jesus is will not just be the light of the world, but the light of my world. And, and, and I want to do that today. And I want to give you a chance to do that. I'm going to pray. And as I'm praying, I'm going to turn, when I'm done, I'm going to turn this microphone off, and they're going to sing a beautiful song that just so beautifully wraps us up. All the love's never going to let me go. And I'm going to be up here, and I want to, I'll have some others that will be with me or can be with me. I want, I'll, if you want to pray with someone, we're here. If you just want to come up and pray, it's open. But embrace the light for the music you come, even as I pray. Father God, in Jesus' name, I know, man, wherever you are, whatever you've done, you embrace that light and all of that darkness flees and you are who he says you are. And in that record, you have done what Jesus has done. Is God good or what? Amen. Thank you. you can be seated. God bless these, those who have put their faith in Christ. And uh, My brother Jonathan here has come, wanted to rededicate his life to the Lord this morning. We praise the Lord about that this morning. Amen. He also... Uh, and Jonathan, I, I meant to talk to you earlier about this, but he wants to join our church. We thank God for that. And uh, there's a little process of that, and that we want to meet with you and get to know you a little bit and make sure you know us. I want to give you some information about the church, our beliefs and all that. And we'll do that and then and, uh, present you for, for full membership very, very soon. Got a couple of children next door. And, uh, and even, it was amazing. I want to tell them what, what, what your daughter said. My, my youngest daughter, she was telling me everything about God and what she did about the sin problem and was you all the answers about, you know, she's a sinner and what God did for her. So I praise God for that. <laughs> and that's something, just being here for a week or two, the Lord's already doing that in her life. We praise Jesus for that. Jonathan, God bless you, and we look forward to it. Doing life together, that's what we call it around here. Doing, get, getting down to the nitty-gritty of what life is and, 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 and embracing the light together so that light shines even brighter. God bless you. Any God good this morning, church? I'll tell you what. Love's never going to let me go. I'm so glad that's true. All right, it's time for our tithes and offerings. Uh, freely you have received and freely give. This is not something you have to do. This is something you get to do. God is, is, is allowing us to partner with him in the, in the ministry. Um, and God is, is, is receiving back from us something that he has already